And God bless you. Thank you uh, for coming. Uh, team, guys, thanks so much. Hey, didn't they do a great job? Yeah. They do amazing work. Okay. Um, thank you. So today we're going to talk about joy, that thing that absolutely everybody wants but nobody knows how to get. That thing that absolutely everybody seeks and that nobody's really sure how to attain. We're going to talk about joy, joy in your family, joy in your life, joy at work, joy in going to places, joy when you sit at home, joy in every area of your life. Now, we're, going to, we're going to distinguish between joy and happiness. Do you understand the difference between joy and happiness, right? Joy can happen through tears. Happiness has to do with circumstances, right? And so there's a, a story that I heard somewhere. And it's, right, the, uh, some, you know, so imagine this, right? Imagine you're at work and uh, there's a great rainstorm and, a, and it's, a, it's a strong storm. And your neighbor calls you up and he says, Ugh, you, a, a tree fell and hit your, um, your roof. You know, oh gosh, that's terrible news, right? And then they call you back a few minutes later and say, oh, don't worry, I thought it was your house. It's actually your neighbor's house. A tree fell in and you're like, woo, that's fantastic. I mean, you don't say that's fantastic, but you go, woo, it's a lot better than hitting my house. And then they call you back and they say, oh, but it was a tree that was planted in your backyard, so now you're liable for all this stuff. And you're like, oh, no. But and then they call you back and say, don't worry, the insurance will cover it. And you go, yahoo. You see, you can just go up, down, up, down, depending on the kind of circumstances that you have. And um, my daughter is wonderful at that. She, she has a great way of like, you know, you'll tell her something that she wasn't expecting. I go, hey, Lydia. And I love doing this with her. I go, hey, Lydia, you have to do your homework. You know, like do it in an excited way. She's like, yeah. Oh, that's no fun. But it's, 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 it's. Happiness is, is, is based on circumstances. We're talking about joy. But more than joy, we're talking about the road to joy. Joy even with tears. Joy even with sorrow. Joy even with pain. Joy even with disappointment. Is that even possible? And of course the answer is yes, in Christ. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to speak about that. So I'm, I'm just going to, today is no frills, it's just going to be really, I just want to be very, very clear. Everybody is looking for joy in some place. Everybody is looking to be fulfilled by some thing. And it's the reason why we started this series. We said, there's a center to everybody's life. You have a center to your life, I have a center to my life. Some people, if, if you're not sure what the center of your life is, just ask yourself this. And finish this statement. I would be happy if fill in the blank. Whatever that blank is, that's the center of your life. That's what you're living for. Here's another way of thinking about it. Say it this way to yourself. I would die if this happened. Whatever that blank is, if my spouse left me, if my kids did drugs, if, if my health decayed, if my, whatever it is, if my girlfriend left, whatever it is, I don't know. Whatever that blank is, I would be half, I, I would die if this 
That's a great indicator about what your God is, what you worship, what you're living for. The Bible has an actual word for that. It's called idolatry. And, and the Bible says, since you're going to worship something, and worshiping something is simply giving your heart, your affections, and your passion and determination, obedience and allegiance to. Some of us know exactly what that's like, right? You, 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 get, with a, you get with a lover, and you'll just do anything for them. You'll compromise your morals. You'll spend more than you wanted to. You'll do all this other stuff. Well, why? Why are you doing that? It, well, it's easy. You're worshiping well. And so, now, the question isn't, are we worshipers? The question is, what will we worship? That's a fact. See, we're all fantastic worshipers. The question is, who or what will we worship? Well, the Bible says... I have an idea. Why not worship Jesus? Why not lift up the name of the Most High God? And so we started the series, and it's, you know, the series is Christ at the center. The week one, we, we said, okay, there are means of grace. In other words, we don't believe that you can become, that you can become Christian by your effort. We believe in this incredible, crazy word called grace. Right? And so you go, well, how do I grow? Well, how do I grow in Christ? Well, a lot of churches will tell you, well, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And we go, no, 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 no. Don't you see? It starts with Christ being at the center of your life. And as Christ, because he's already died for you, he's already done everything that you need in order to be saved. You don't have to add to it. You can't take it away. People think I'm lying when I'm saying that. Because of the way we, brought, we were brought up, we go, no, 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 really. What, tell me the one thing. And then, no, 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 really, it, it's, it's a free gift. They go, yeah, 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 okay, but what's the fine print? No, really, there's no fine print. It's just, it's grace. It's yours. Yeah, 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 but, you know, oh, I, I get it. Once I commit, then you'll tell me all the do's. No, 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 it's not like that at all. Christ, when he comes into your heart because he died for your sins, and when you receive him into your heart, he does a miraculous stuff, thing. He starts to change your desires and your passions. He does that because he resides inside of you. Not because you're doing something to get him to do that. No, but he simply starts doing that in your... Many of you, many of you know what it's like to be filled with something that makes you do things perhaps that you even didn't want to do. You know what it's like to be indwelt and naturally turn in a particular direction. Isn't it true? Isn't it true that if you had uh, uh, one drink too many or one drink that you'll, you'll say yes to things that perhaps you shouldn't say yes to and no to things that are perhaps good for you. No like, to things like, hey, give your friends your keys, right? And you'll say, you'll say no to that, but and then you'll say yes to like, oh yeah, I think I'll sleep with this stranger. And you go, uh, well, well that's just, you know what, what's, what's the problem is that you're being indwelt and changed by something. The Bible says, don't get drunk on wine, but get drunk on the Spirit. In other words, don't be influenced, don't be maneuvered, don't be manipulated by, out, by these outside sources, but be influenced, manipulated, be moved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's the best thing for you. So we said that the Christ-centered life starts with asking Christ to come into your life, right? That's pretty basic, right? And then what Jesus starts to do, we notice there's a means of grace. He starts to give us desires that we didn't have before. And you have scores of testimonies sitting right here, right around you, of people 
who would simply say, oh yeah, I had no desire to read the Bible. I had no desire for Jesus. I asked Jesus to come into my life, and all of a sudden I couldn't get enough of reading the Bible. Right? Does anybody, right? Is that anybody's story? Right? Yeah, absolutely. There's people. It's like, oh man, all of a sudden I want to read the Bible. It's not like, I'm not like, if you don't do it, you're going to get in trouble. No, no, no. You really want to. Well, that's what we talked about last week, and I gave you five different ways that you can get into the Bible. I don't know how many of you followed the Facebook or the Twitter thing, but uh, that's what I try to do to help you with that. Okay, so Christ is at the center. Now, this week, it's very simple. We're going to talk, now, we're going to talk about the, the, the roadmap to joy. And there's, you know, there's a few things you could say about that, but the one thing that we're going to talk about is, listen to this, service. That's the roadmap to joy. But there's an enemy to your joy. Now, actually, before I tell you the enemy, this is kind of shocking, right? This is not as sexy as you thought it should be, right? Like, the roadmap to joy should be like, should be like something else. It shouldn't be like service. Service doesn't sound like the roadmap to joy. It sounds like the roadmap to tired, right? <laughs> It sounds like the roadmap to, like, exhaustion. This does not sound like the roadmap to joy, right? In fact, I can think of a couple of thousand other things that I'd rather do to get joy than service, right? Would, would you agree? Like, isn't that, like, a, a, a little bit of a difficulty to come up? And I'm, I'm going to try to do my best, and I'm going to you know, use all of my persuasive powers to try to convince you that this is, in fact, what the Bible not only teaches, but is right about I mean, it, it would be one thing if this is what the Bible teaches, but who cares if it's not right, right? The Bible not only teaches it, it's right about it. So, but there's an enemy to your joy, to your willingness to do service. And it's this. You ready? It's your self-centeredness. Because I only want to serve if there's something in it for me, which by definition is no longer service. I only want to serve insofar as I get... We're willing to serve, and listen, I don't know if you're anything like me. I'm willing to serve in so long as you don't treat me like a servant. Once you start treating me like a servant, I'm not so willing to serve anymore. I'm willing to serve so long as I get something out of it, right? So, for instance, in my world, I'm married, I'm willing to serve my wife if perhaps there might be some payoff sometime later on in the end of the day. Right? It's like, you know, I go, oh, 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 of course I'll take the girls back. Sure, I'll help cleaning up. Of course I'll put the dishes away. Hopefully, this will add to my account and, and the good things will happen later on, right? Of course I'll do this at work. Of course I'll, so long as it gets me the raise. So long as it gives me the, you see, we all are used to service, but the service that we're used to is the service that serves us. The kind of service that I don't mind giving myself away to you in so far as I get a better return. It no longer is serving, it's now bartering. It's, it's, it's an exchange. It's, I'll give you if I can get, right? And so, if you're not sure this is how you do service, then just go ahead and selflessly serve others. And then, follow your emotions when they don't serve you that way. It, it can bring up a bunch of emotions. In fact, it can bring up so many emotions you just don't even want to deal with the person anymore. In fact, some of the reasons your relationships 
have been destroyed. It's because your argument was, but I do this for you, and you can't see it reciprocated. So service, while it's not sexy, it's definitely, it's definitely the way to joy. If you don't believe that, the next time that you're depressed, I mean really, really depressed, take $5, put it in your pocket, lock your door, go, well, go outside first, lock your door, and find somebody who needs a plate of food. Then listen to their story. You'll discover that when you serve someone, there's, without your permission, a joy that rises up. There's something beautiful about that. It's why in this church, over and over, when we give people service opportunities, I hear back, oh man, this is the best. I love this. Why? Because service is truly the road to joy. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Bible. We're going to look at this passage in the book of Mark. Um, As we look, now, if you don't have a Bible, I want you to open up your bulletins. In your bulletins, I've actually placed inside, I haven't, the, 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 the people who uh, serve at the church have placed the scripture that we're going to look at. Now here's the thing, guys. I want you, for the next few minutes, I want you to tune in. Now here's the deal. This is, there's going to be a couple of enemies against this. One is that this is not a bells and whistles sermon. So it's going to be like, oh man, when's the elephant coming out? No, the elephant's not coming out. It's just going to be a straightforward sermon. Number two, it's warm in the room. And so, just really try to stay focused, okay? Um, what we're looking at is the book of Mark. If you don't have your Bible, I love you. We put it in the bulletin, um, so you can just go ahead and find it there. But if you've been coming around for a while, like if you've come for the first time or even the first few times, nobody brings their Bible if you're coming for the first few times. But just, it's good to carry around your Bible. It's good to open your Bible, get used to your Bible, because hopefully the only place that you open up your Bible is not in church. Hopefully you'll be opening it up more often. And the more you get used to that, the, you know, the better that feels. Um, also, you can write notes in it, you can underline, you can circle and do all that stuff. Okay. So we're reading in the book of Mark. Uh, what's, let me tell you what's happened. Let me kind of get you up to speed, because we're starting from chapter 10, and nobody likes to start a story in the middle. So what we have is Jesus on his way to the cross. The cross for you and for me. To do this incredible thing that you and I could not do in a billion years is to win a relationship with Christ. Jesus is going to do that for us. He's going to purchase our salvation. It's going to be a high, high price. He's on his way. He's said three times up to this point, I'm going to the cross to die for you. I'm going to the cross to die for you. I'm going to the cross to die for you, to suffer and die for you. And uh, funny thing, the disciples don't get it. Now, he just finished saying, I'm going to go to the cross and die for you. That's in verse 32. We're not going to look at that today. You can read read that um, in your own Bibles uh, later on. But watch this. He says, after he says this, this is the first thing that the apostles say to him, right? Here it is. You ready? Verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said. Now, look up at me. Matthew reports the same thing, but Matthew gives another detail. He says that James and John's mom was with them. And I'm like, yeah, 
if I'm going to ask Jesus something, I'm bringing my mom. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just bringing my mom. It just feels better about that. And, so, and it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt that James and John's mom is Mary's sister. Right? So this is Jesus' aunt. Right? So it doesn't hurt that they have that close, cool relationship. Right? And so James and John, sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said. So there's his mom. You know, you can just see mom, you know, and they're all kind of like saying and all that. They said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Come over here. Listen. Just to point out, this is not a good prayer. Okay? Your prayer should not start, Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. Okay? Although most of our prayers do start off exactly that way. This is not, this is, this is not the way we would encourage you to pray. Okay? This is one of the world's worst prayers. Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. Verse 36. What do you want for do, what do you want me to do for you? He asked. Look up at me. It's a great point in prayer. This is not this is not really the point of the service, but just so you know, Jesus will always ask you to get specific about prayer. In this very same chapter, a blind guy goes to Jesus and says, "Teacher, help me. Help me have mercy on me." And Jesus even asks the blind guy. Anybody know what the blind guy could possibly want, right? He wants the blind guy to be clear about what he's asking for so that when it happens, nobody else gets the, the, the credit. Nobody, it's, oh, I see. You're trying to build my faith. So he says, he has a habit of asking this question, exactly what do you want from me? Verse 37. They replied, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Isn't that interesting? I go, oh, when you hit the place of prominence, can we have the most influential seats in the house? Can we be the, the, the people with it? Now, let, let me just say this about, okay, before we go on in this passage, just so you know, this very passage and others like it are the reasons why I love the Bible and I believe that the Bible is true. Because it, I, all right, think about this. If I'm starting a religion, right, Let's say a bunch of us, we get, we, we get into this room, we're all in the chair, and we're going to start off in a religion, right? And we're going to go, this is going to be great because we're going to be able to have power over people, we're going to be able to fleece them out of money, and this is what we'll do. Let's write a couple of stories about this make-believe guy named Jesus, right? And then, let's put ourselves in the worst possible light that we could be in. See, I, I don't know, if I was writing the Bible, and I was making it up, I'd leave this story out. Like, this would not have made the editing room, right? This would not have made it past the editing room, right? I'm not going to write down that the second that Jesus goes, oh, I'm going to die for your sins, right after that we go, uh, but can we have the Porsche and the Lamborghini? Uh, can we have the highest paying jobs? Can we get the most influence? Can we go, you know, oh, oh you're going to die. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, what about us? I just wouldn't write that down. This is why I love the Bible. This is why I know the Bible's true. Because it gives details about stuff that you would never put down if you were making this stuff up. There's a great commentary that I read. Um, there's a great uh, little passage um, that I read. Because remember what they're asking. Let, us sit, let one of us sit at your right hand. 37. Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. 
And here's what the commentary says. This is not in your notes and this is not in your Bible, obviously. This is a commentary on this passage. It says this. Little do James and John understand that the only throne Jesus will mount will be a wooden one. That the only crown he will receive is that of thorns. And that those who will be at his right and his left will be crucified thieves. You see, they don't know what they're asking. But they're only thinking, see, they're thinking in worldly terms. They're thinking that the people who hit the most prominent place, the people who are most, who have the most juice, are the people who have the greatest authority, the people who are looked at and they're going, wow, that's so cool. That guy's just, man, he's up there speaking. Oh, man, he looks like he has so much story. Look at all the money he's got. Look at all the stuff that he's got. And they go, no, 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 don't you get it, don't you get it. Listen, listen, listen. That's not, that's not the way Jesus wants us to look at being great. And so look at Jesus' response at verse 38. You don't know what you're asking. You know why Jesus said that? Because they had no clue about what they were asking. Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? That's a rhetorical question. We're going to get back to verses 38 through 40. And uh, I'm just going to read through it, and then I'll get back to it towards the end of the sermon. Can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Yep, this is just getting better and better for them, isn't it? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Look up at me. This is so funny. This verse is so funny. It's because, think about this. The rest of the ten, they were furious with James and John. Not because they were inappropriate and they were, they were praying wrong and all that other stuff. They were, praying, they were furious because these two guys had beat them to it. They were indignant with them. Isn't that hysterical? It's like, I'm not mad. I'm not mad because you went behind my back. I'm mad because you got there first. It's just, but that's, but here it is. And, and again, if I was writing this stuff up, that is not what I would put in there. That's not the light I would like to be seen, but that's what they did. You know why? Because it's true. When you read your Bible, it's true. Uh, Jesus called them together. So Jesus sees them. Uh, getting this like fight going on and this kind of growing antagonism. And he does what any good leader does when there's strife. He tries to bring people to one accord. He says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who, who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life for a ransom. Jesus, in this line, puts the entire world on its head. Turns the world upside down. Says, you want to be great in this world? So, see, listen, the way the world works is you get the most expensive watch. You have the nicest suit. You, you, you have the best shoes. You drive the most expensive car. The way this world works is that if you want reverence and if you want respect, 
that you have a great position, that you are in, that, that's the way the world works. And Jesus goes, that's the way the world works, but not so with you. Do you see that? Do you see where he says, he says, and they're high, uh, over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Look at verse 30, um, 43. I want you to read the first four words with me. Would you read the first four words of 43? Okay. You're looking at your verses? Here we go. Let's try. One, two, three. Not so NBT, listen to me. Not so with you. That is not the way we look at greatness in Christ. Not so with you. The whole world might be trying to get their way by dressing in fancy clothes and driving racy cars and being in the most prominent position. Not so with you. Those of you who want, who have an ambition, who long to be seen as great. Notice Jesus says that wanting to be great, is there's nothing wrong with that. Notice Jesus doesn't rebuke being great. He was rebuking the way they were going to greatness. He was rebuking their ideas about how to get to greatness. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your slave. You want greatness? That's a noble ambition. Be a servant. Be a slave. You go, but they don't appreciate me. Uh, I know. Yeah. But every time, I, I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. Really? You're getting it. Now, listen, I'm not talking to those of you who are in codependent relationships where you're, giving, where you're serving others to get something, uh, security, love, affection. That's not the kind, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But listen, I'm talking about really serving people without getting anything, without the hope of anything in response. This kind of service doesn't make sense to our American minds. Because again, our service looks an awful lot like serve us. Even when you ask people, hey, why did you do that service? They'll say things like, I just feel great when I do it. Like, uh, okay, that's good. I'm glad you feel great. Um, but that's not where I want you to be. I want you to go low if you want to go and be lifted high. And whoever wants to, verse 44, and whoever wants to be first must be slave. Is this strong enough? Like, does this, like, think about the implications of this. What would your marriage look like if you started to do, what would your friendships look like? It would change everything. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man, Jesus' favorite term for himself was the Son of Man. It was actually his term for divinity. It's taken from the book of Daniel. Daniel starts to talk about the Son of Man, and he's speaking about God. So whenever you see Jesus refer to himself as the Son of Man, he's actually claiming in that moment to be God. Isn't that incredible? Because listen to what he's going to say. He's going to say, even, listen, I want you to serve. And I want you to serve with the intention 
of not getting anything in return, not so that you can... No, no, no. I want you to serve. so that Because that's where greatness comes in. That's where greatness comes in. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Verse 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Listen to me. Think about this for a second. Jesus, Jesus says here that I am God in the flesh. You think that you have rights? You think that you deserve better? You think that you're, you know, all of that and that you deserve, you think that's the case? Listen to me, listen to me. I'm God, Jesus says. I'm God. And I'm going to serve you unto death. I'm going to serve you unto death. I'm not just going to serve you at the risk of my life. My service will be the cost of my life. And I will serve you as a ransom. Yeah, yeah, this word ransom, we don't use it much, only in like movies. Anybody ever hear about ransom? Anybody know what a ransom is, right? You know, what happens, right? You get, you get to the point in the movie where they abduct the girl. Anybody remember this, right? Like, there's a million movies like this, right? They abduct the girl, and then eventually they send a letter, they make a phone call, they, you know, send a text or an email or whatever they do, and, and they say, we want $10 million for the girl. That's the ransom. What's the ransom? It's the $10 million, right? So Jesus is saying, I am going to pay the ransom for your sin. This is an incredible thing. Because who, who thinks that they're in bondage or enslaved? You don't think of yourself that way, do you? You don't think of yourself as being trapped by someone or something else. The truth is that there are many desires, ideas, paradigms, thoughts, ways of life that entrap us. There are gods which we serve, abductors who have us, and we desperately need it to be ransomed. And Jesus says, I come so that I might pay the ransom for your sin, for your relationship with me. Jesus says, I've come to pay your ransom. I come to be the thing. So what, what is it that we're ransomed from? Well, wouldn't it be something? Because Jesus, people think that Jesus just pays, oh, look, my sins are forgiven. But wouldn't it be something if in fact, wouldn't it be something if in fact you could be ransomed from those masters, those horrible masters that make you do things you wish you hadn't done? Let me give you a couple of examples of some horrible masters that some of us are slaves to. Some of us are slaves to hypersensitivity. That means everybody around you has to walk on eggshells. It means you discover a new and fresh and creative way for being offended at every conversation you have. It means that when you get into contact with people, it really is all about you. And so you're the most easily to offend. You're the most easy to 
to just, you know, it, and if you're not sure if you're hypersensitive, just ask yourself, do I have any friends that are older than five years? Because if I don't have any friends that are older than five years, that might be close friends. I'm not talking about people that I know from high school that I haven't talked to or occasionally talked to on my Facebook every now and again. I'm talking about if I don't have any deep, close friends for the last five years, that's an indicator that perhaps I'm hypersensitive. And you know what happens when you're under the master of hypersensitivity. Your life is lived for the purpose of your own protection. And so you never live for anybody else. You never live to serve anybody. You never live for other people's joy. You simply live for protecting yourself. And then if people stick around, they learn long enough, they learn that anything can set you off because it's all about you. There's another master. There's just wanting to be seen as beautiful. All of us want to be seen as beautiful whether it's with our talents, whether it's with our looks, we all want to find that person who will make us feel beautiful. Notice the words that I chose. Make us feel beautiful. Because we're not really beautiful. We're just being made to feel beautiful. That's what we tell ourselves. You know what that is? That's a horrible master. And Jesus says, I've come so that I might ransom, I might buy you, I might purchase you. I might pay the fine for you to have deep relationship with Christ. I've come to ransom you. Jesus says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life for a ransom. Let's go back to verse 34, because then I think you'll see this. So, before we get there, I want you to see that Jesus says, listen to me, the way to joy is the way to service. You want to live a Christ-centered life? Live in service. But you know what we discover here? We discover that when people say, I want joy, or I want happiness, or I want peace, they don't want peace. They want what peace comes with. But they don't want peace. Just like when when somebody who's in a 12-step group says, I want recovery, you go, okay, okay, well, how many steps have you worked? None. I go, no, 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 you don't want recovery. You want what comes with recovery. You don't want recovery. Because if you want something, you're willing to pay for it, aren't you? It, 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 I want joy. I go, like, think, of, think of the guy who says, you know what I want in my home? I want peace. But then he sits in front of the TV and lets his children grow old without interacting with them. And then at 13, when they're making the most horrible decisions that you could possibly imagine because he didn't invest in them when they were three and four, what that guy wants is what comes with peace. He doesn't really want peace because peace is, is tough, isn't it? Joy is tough, isn't it? Freedom is tough, isn't it? See, listen, 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 listen. I don't want you to just want joy or what comes with joy. I want you to want joy itself and be willing to fight for it. Jesus says, here's the road to joy, okay? If you're, right, like if you're, if you're, if you're going to Yankee Stadium, there's a particular road you get on. If you're going to, um, to the Rockaways, there's a particular road you get on. 
If you're going to this place called joy, there's a particular road you get on. And it's called service. Serving others. Now, Jesus, and we're going back to his conversation, he says this, he says, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Let me just tell you that this is a, this is a rhetorical question. The obvious answer to this question is no. It's no. You've done this before, right? Um, you're with your kids, uh, and, you know, they're complaining about the kind of shoes, you know, you're getting them or something like that. And you go, you want to pay for this? It's a rhetorical question. You know what the answer is. And the answer is what in that instance? No. no. Thank you very much, Mommy. You know, right? Or, or, or you're driving down, right? And your wife is going, slow, slow down, speed up. Watch that guy. Turn left, turn right. And you, at a certain point, you go, you want to drive? And the answer is usually, no. It's, just, it's a rhetorical question. Jesus is asking a rhetorical question to make a, a point. But it makes it confusing with his next statement. Because he says on one hand, no, they can't drink the cup. Now, here's, the, here's what's important when you see this. Whenever you see a cup, many times the cup is a symbol for God's wrath. Whenever you see the cup in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, it's a symbol for God's wrath. This again is taken out of Isaiah, where it says that the, the, the anointed one will, will drink from the cup of God's wrath. Now, some of you don't believe the Bible, and some of you certainly don't believe in a God that's wrathful. In fact, this is where you check out. You say this. You say, you see, this is why I can't listen to, to the Bible. I can't hear, go, I can't deal with Christianity, because you have this archaic view of God. This view of God that says, well, he has to be wrathful, and he has to be appeased, and he has to be... Listen, 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 listen. If you're in the chair where you go, well, you know what? My God is not wrathful, or my God doesn't judge, right? And you've heard people say that. Maybe you're one of those people who say that. Let me submit to you in the next one minute, in the next 60 seconds, let me submit to you something that perhaps you haven't think of, that you didn't think of. There's no way that God could be loving without, too, having wrath. In fact, you rip the guts out of God's love if he has no wrath. Let me, let me see if I can explain it this way. If, I'm, if you are coming to your home, and as you put the key in the door, you see somebody molesting a loved one in your home, Anybody know what that thing grows inside of you at that moment? That's wrath. It's because you love the person that's in your home that when you see them uh, being attacked, there's a wrath that comes. A painter who loves painting. And let's say, for instance, I went to that painter's uh, uh, demonstration and I... And I, and I started to pour gasoline over the paintings. And I got a, a match. And I turned on the match. And anybody know what that painter would do to me as I'm, pre I'm trying to get that match to think? <laughs> you know what you would see? You would see that painter's wrath. You know why you would see that painter's wrath? Because there's such a profound love 
for the painting, that to do this evil thing to the painting is unthinkable. It incurs wrath. If God loves you, he must hate those things that rape and destroy your life. He must hate those things that draw you from him. If God is God at all, and if God loves at all, then he's got to be at least as passionate as a parent coming home with a, with a child being abducted or, or, or attacked, or a, more, uh, more love than a painter uh, protecting his painting. Listen, you can't have God's love if you don't have his wrath. And Jesus says, can you drink from the cup? The cup of wrath that he's... Because remember, Jesus doesn't go on a cross as a punishment from the devil. Jesus comes on the cross voluntarily to pay for your sins and mine. And so, but what is he paying for? Who is he paying? He's paying the ransom, the wrath of God for your sins and mine. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus says. Can you drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. We can. They answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink from the cup I drink and be baptized from the baptized I'm baptized with. Listen, look up at me. Didn't we just say that they can't? But then Jesus says, you will. Here's what Jesus is saying. Let me see if I could clear this up for you in the next minute or two. Jesus is saying, I am taking the big cup of wrath. The one, listen, you know how you were a slave to uh, a fashion or slave to a particular look, slave to a particular feeling or a particular substance? You know how you were a slave to a particular idea or thought, how you would do whatever she or he would ask, that you would, you're a slave. They say, come and you come, and they say, go and you go. You are a slave. Jesus has come so that he would take the wrath, the big cup. And that because of that, you too can take a small cup. And that you could suffer in this world, but not because of the mistakes that you've made or because of the sin, but you could suffer so that you might serve others. Because remember, a couple of verses that we just looked at, he gives the example, even as the Son of Man has not come to be served, but to what? Serve. Jesus says, you will drink from the cup. And this is it. Listen, the reason that you can serve, the reason that service is the way to joy, and the reason that you can serve is this. Listen, it's because Christ has taken away all of your masters. You no longer have to be in bondage you no longer have to be a slave to the old ideas. Listen, young people, you don't have to be a slave to an image on a magazine that you're trying to reach. You no longer, listen, you no longer have to be a slave and think, well, if, if you don't have a romantic relationship, then you're not really worth anything. You no longer have to be a slave, well, if you don't have X amount of dollars in the bank, then you really not, don't have a whole lot of worth. Listen to me. Your life can be lived as an act of service. It can't be lived as an act of service given so that I could benefit, but given as an act of service so that others 
can benefit. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That's what Jesus would have for you. Now, there's a story about service that I want to tell you. I've told it before, but I'll tell it to you again because it's, it's actually worth saying again. There's this king. This king who obviously had a kingdom, had a man, and he was just a poor farmer. He had an acre of land, and he grew a carrot. A carrot was about the size. It was a huge-sized carrot. It was, it was those big, you, you've ever seen those things, right? Like a big old carrot. So he grew this big old carrot, and he just didn't know what to do with it. So he brought it to the king. And he said, oh, king, I don't have a whole lot. I'm a very poor man, but this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown. In fact, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown, have grown, or will grow. This is the most magnificent thing I've ever done. And what I want to do is I want to offer it up to you because I, I can think of no greater honor for this carrot than to be consumed by you and your officials. The king touched to his heart, saw the man's gift, and said to him, how many acres of land do you have? And he says, I have one acre of land, not a large piece of land. He goes, I'm going to give you the nine surrounding acres around your one acre to give you ten acres of land. There was a nobleman who was sitting not far and heard this exchange. And he said, if a carrot gets you like ten times what you came in with, what would a horse get you? And so he comes and he brings his horse and he goes, Oh king, the nobleman comes, you know, not long after this. He goes, Oh king, you are wonderful. This is the greatest horse I've ever raised. I've never raised a greatest horse than this. I don't have a greater horse than this. I'll never raise a horse greater than this. And I can think of no greater honor for this horse than for you and your nobles to ride on it and do with it as you wish. The king, perceiving his motives, goes and grabs the horse and takes the horse away, turns around and says, thank you, and walks away. As he's walking away a little bit more distance, he turns around to see this nobleman, in quotes, his face is dropped. He's like, I just gave away my most incredible horse and I'm getting nothing in return. The king, perceiving his heart, says this to him. I, I bet you're wondering, I bet you're wondering why I gave that guy who gave me a carrot ten acres and I'm just taking your horse away. He's like, uh-huh. He's all ears. He says, well, let me, let me explain it this way. When that, when that peasant gave me the carrot, he was giving it to me. When you gave me the horse, you were giving it to yourself. Listen. When you serve with the purpose of getting something from someone else, you're not serving them, you're serving yourself. When you serve with the purpose of getting something in return, you don't serve, you serve and God is saying, that's not the kind of service that I want for you. That's not the kind of service that I want you to be a part of. The kind of service that I want you to be a part of is the kind of service that doesn't wait for a thank you. If you're not sure of what this would look like in your own life, 
imagine doing something for your husband and genuinely when you don't get a thank you or when you don't get great meal or when you don't get... Imagine feeling joy in that moment because you didn't do it for him. You were doing it for the glory of God and this is what you're called to do. Imagine serving someone with nothing and they could return nothing to you. Imagine what it would be like if you, in your relationships and the people that you're surrounded with, imagine what it would be like if you could, in fact, serve them and be joyful. What would it be like to find out that your neighbor, a single mom, you live next to a single mom, and you know what? You tell her, hey, I know you go to work and then you come back and do all this other stuff. Here's what I'll do. Um, On Thursday, I'm going to make enough for an army. And so you don't have to worry about cooking on Thursday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come, I'm going to bring a tray of food, it's going to be for you and your kids, and leaving long before they ever say thank you. Or what about if they don't say thank you, they just go, oh, okay, bye-bye, the door's over there. Could you rejoice? Could you celebrate? Not because you're doing it in a codependent way, oh, love me, love me, do anything, please, I'll do anything if you just love me. Not that. That's not what we're talking about. Oh, give me, give me, give me. I'll give you all this just as long as I get back. Not that. Of course I'll take you out on a date so long as tonight is favorable to me. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is serving in the truest sense. Serving like Jesus served. Drinking your little cup. And the reason that you can serve is because Jesus has served you by going to the cross. The more you ponder, you go, Oh, wait, you mean I'm going to serve them because... You, oh, you served me. You served me with your blood so I can serve them with a little sweat. You served me with your death so I could serve them with my life. You served me with sacrificing all so I could sacrifice some. Oh, I get it. What would that look like in your life? Let me tell you something. This church would never look the same. It's the most discouraging thing when, um, when I get phone calls or when I find people, I go, oh gosh, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. I haven't seen you in church. Oh yeah, you know, because I called and nobody answered my phone call. You know, I, I, I needed something and nobody returned my thing. And I'm just thinking, oh, so, oh, so you were looking for another fast food restaurant. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Burger, Burger King's down the block. You know, I don't even know what to say to those things anymore. I want to scream and say, then why don't you commit yourself to answering those phone calls for others? Then why doesn't it occur to you that if there's not enough people to serve, that you should, rather than leaving for somewhere where you could be served more efficiently, why not go someplace where you can actually serve? And that's, that's my charge for you today. I have two things for you to do. One is that I want you to take out your yellow card. Everybody, take out your yellow card. As you take out your yellow card, I just want you to fill out as much as you feel comfortable with. I want you to fill out your name, your phone number, your email, your address, whatever you like. Just go ahead and fill it out. But listen to me. Listen to me. What would it be like? What would it be like if we all got involved in service? Hey, let me ask you a question. What would it be like? Could you imagine if we all got involved in serving here at NBT? 
How cool would it be if, if you said, hey, I want to serve in the children's ministry, and, was, and they said, hey, that's fantastic. We got, you're on a three-month waiting list. And, and then the joy would fill you that you go, then I want to prepare myself for the next three months so that when my opportunity comes, I'll be as good as I could ever be. Wouldn't it be cool if, if you, you, know, you wanted to join the host ministry to make people feel welcome? You know how important that is? You know how beat up people come in here? You know how beat up people come in here? It's amazing. People come in here with their hearts sagging and just going, man, the week had just beat them up. You know how wonderful it is to have a person who's smiling and say, man, I'm so glad you're here. Want some coffee? Hey, you, you, there, there's some great bananas and things like that in the back. Would you like some? Like, what would it be like if you said, hey, I want to I join the host ministry. And they said, we got a waiting list for a month. Then you practice your smile in the mirror for the next month and go, I'm going to be the best greeter ever. I'm going to be the best host ever. What would it be like? What would it be like if every one of us got involved in service? So now, there's two things that I want you to do. Number one, you've been filling out your yellow cards. You have your names down there. If you turn your card around, in the back it says... It says, I want to help with. I want you to click, and I want, this is an all scale. You know, I, I had a great conversation with somebody after the last service. They said this, it, it's true. Listen up, this is, tell me if this is not your story. They said, Pastor, this is an amazing service. Not because I spoke, but because of what happened. They said, we were talking, as we were driving in, we were talking about, we need to get serious about serving others and living for Jesus and, you know, which is, He's like, and then we come into the service, and that's exactly what you're talking about. It was like a miracle. It was amazing. And then when you asked us to click off, I clicked off three things on the, the, you know, the place where you could serve. And as they were leaving, they, they confessed this to me. Then I started to get upset. Oh, they're probably going to call me for all these things, and I don't have the time for all this and all this other stuff. And I thought to myself, that's, no, I didn't just think to myself, I told them. I said, you know why? Because Satan is very happy with you talking about serving so long as you don't serve. It's like, you know what it's like? It's like drunkards walking from a, a, a bar going, you know what? That's it. I'm going to get sober. And then tomorrow they do the same thing. See, it's this, let me tell you something. In Christianity, we got this down to a science. You know, we actually think, because when we come to church, we feel God, that we're closer to God. People actually think that. I mean, no, nobody here, but people actually think that. People actually think, because they think about reading, uh, because they think about growing in Christ, that they're actually growing in Christ as they're thinking about it when it's the farthest thing from the group. Truth, Satan would be very happy for you to have wonderful conversations, delightful discussions about growing in Christ if you do nothing about it. And so I want you with great courage. So I want to help with children, women, office, phones. Click off two or three places so that if you're... If we have enough volunteers in one place, you could serve in another. And this is an all-skate. Everybody get, oh, but I'm not good at it. Don't worry, we'll train you. I'm not, I don't smile well. It's okay, we'll train you. Next thing, 
Now, that's the first thing. Now, the reason I ask you to do that first is because we have to do acts of service that are premeditated, and we have to do acts of service that are completely random. Premeditated and random. Now, what I mean by random is that you go throughout the day and, you know, uh, you're walking and, and you see some woman who's carrying groceries and you go, oh my gosh, uh, you know, I got to help her. And so you go and you go, hey, can I help you carry these groceries? And, um, and you just help her. You walk the three, four, five blocks, whatever it is. You, you go and you serve. Uh, uh, you go to work and, and you bring double the portion of food that you usually bring. And the reason you bring it is not because you're trying to gain weight. You bring it because you know that there's always somebody who doesn't come in with lunch. And you get to share. Those are random acts. So there's two things. One is I want you to do premeditated, and that's what you just checked off right there in your yellow card. The second one is if you've made a decision to just, you know what, this week, and here's all I want you to do. Just go, God, would you help me to serve others? Would you help me to serve others? That's it. Just live your week that day. I want you to write down, willing to serve. Willing to serve. Would you help me to serve others? So that when this week, when God brings you an opportunity to serve, it's, it's right there. We had a, a, an awesome opportunity right after the last service. Um, it was pretty amazing. Um, just... Uh, some people who have, haven't been here in a while that are really on tough times, and they said, hey, when is your pantry open? They said, well, it's, it's open on Saturdays. You just missed it. We're kind of, goes, do you have anything at all? Because we're really struggling. And it was an opportunity to serve. So it was a couple of people from this church who said, we can serve you. We can serve you. We can provide for you. Wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool if everybody thought it their job? If everybody thought, how awesome would it be if it was like, oh, wow, you have a need? I'll supply that need. I'll serve you. So two things I want you to do this week. Because remember, if we're going to live the Christ-centered life, if we're going to live a life that's filled with Jesus in the center and Him being glorified and famed and lifted high, we're going to have to get involved with service. And again, it's a lot more fun to talk about service than it is actually doing it. And that is the challenge. So as the musicians come up, I want you to think about what is the act of service that God is calling you to? Hey, you know what? You could serve somebody by just simply inviting them to next week's service. Because we got more to talk about. There's more to talk about in the Christ-centered life. There are more means of grace that God uses to help us to grow in love with Christ. And so you can invite somebody over to Sunday service. Say, hey, you know, I'll take you, I'll do a, a breakfast with you or something like that. You can, in any way, but how cool would it be? What would this neighborhood be like if in our minds we would always be thinking about serving the people in this community or the people in our community? What would your neighborhood be like? Let me ask you something. What would your house be like if everybody just tried to outserve one another? You know, my, my wife really has this idea and I, I remember one time I just felt like she was blessing me too much. And I said, oh, I, I will not be out blessed. And I remember as I was, I was uh, fixing 
something, some food for myself. I said, I know. I'll get her, you know, she's wanted a haircut. and you know, It's not a haircut. It's like a hair, whole hair thing. It's like color cut perm, whatever the whole thing is. And um, I remember going to her and saying, you know what? I want to get you. I want to do this for you. And it's just, it's what, what would your family be like? If everybody in your family, if all of your friends say, you will not outbless me. What would, what would this church be like? What would this church be like if you said, you know, you will not outserve me? You think, you think uh, uh, letting me go out the door first is good? Uh, I'll hold the next door for you. You think that's good? I'll wash your car. You know, you think that's good? I'll clean your, like, you know, what would it be like if we tried to outserve one another? Let me tell you something. We would have a community that would be so contagious to the world around it that we would change the world. But let's start with changing just our simple actions. Again, if you don't know Jesus, you could receive Jesus right now. If you're Lord and Savior, go, Jesus, I'm a terrible sinner. I desperately need a Savior. I don't want God's wrath. You already took God's wrath, so I'd like to keep it with you. I'd like for you to drink that cup, not me. Receive Jesus right now. And this week, you have two opportunities. One, you're going to click on three, ten, five, I don't care, but a few things that you would like to get involved in. Secondly, you're going to pray throughout the rest of this week, Jesus, help me to find people to serve. Help me to find people to serve. You might find them sitting across the table. You might find them at your job. You might find them in your bedroom. Just someone to serve. Someone to love well. I encourage you for that. Let's pray. Father, my prayer is that each one of us would stop this self-seeking, self-centered way of life and recognize that if we're going to find any joy in this world at all, it's going to be found in Christ, serving others in the name of Jesus. I pray throughout this week, as people come up to us, Lord, and as we're serving them, and as people come up to us, And they say, why are you serving me this way? Why are you so kind? Why are you so loving? That we would be able to point back to Jesus. That not only would we serve, but we would serve in the name of Jesus. And that in fact, we would be encouraged to share with them the gospel as a direct result. Father, I pray that in Jesus' name, there would be a radical change, a Holy Spirit transformation in the hearts and in the minds of those that are here right now. Lord, I pray for those right now who are thinking, I could never do this in my home because I just would get stepped all over. Lord, would you just help them to serve in a way that glorifies you. Father, I pray that for those who are here, and who just go, who are caught in the bondage of codependency, I pray that you would give them wisdom for what to do with this message. That they wouldn't go back to 
abusive relationships and think that, oh, this is the stamp of approval for their abuse. But that they would actually start serving people who they're not looking for anything from. Father, would you give us the wisdom to know what to do with this message? Would you give us the wisdom to be able to do this message both here at NBT and outside? And Father, finally, I pray for those who have been serving and who are tired. I pray that you strengthen them, that you encourage them. I pray that you would be glorified and lifted high. I pray that you would be loved and that you would be sensed by them as they do their service for you. That you would be glorified in the process and we would receive joy. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.